God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe, Tribe of Christians, Christians broadcast, either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians podcast. I'm your host, the Chief Sinner. I'm going to take you through a unique look and perspective into the book of Revelation to reveal one of the greatest names of God and how this name conceals the great gospel message of Jesus. In the subject and topic matter about creation and apologetics, which is the ministry of defending the gospel and the Bible through science and facts and history and all kinds of cool stuff, one of the most popular questions that I always get asked is, if God created everything in the universe, then who created God? And honestly, it's a great question. When I first got asked this question, the first person who asked me this, I honestly didn't have a solid answer for them. And I had to tell them that I would come back to them later when I discovered it. Now, I knew by faith, just by believing what the Bible says, that God simply always was and always is. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me? And God simply said, tell them that I am sent you. There was also another person in scripture who asked God what his name was. And it was when the Lord was disguised and appeared as an angel to the parents of Samson. Samson's father asked him what his name was. And the Lord's response was, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. And in the book of Job, one of the books of wisdom, Job had this to say. He says, Who can fathom the mysteries of God? Who can probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. So I did some praying and a lot of researching, and I found the answer in the most unusual and unexpected places. In the science magazine. You know, the scientists who usually use their scientific discoveries to try to dispute and disprove the very existence of God? Yes. So I discovered this answer in a science magazine, which read something like this. It said, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can, however, be transformed from one location to another and converted to and from other forms 
of energy. In other words, you cannot create energy, but you can transfer it or transform it. Now that is the first law of thermodynamics. That's what it states. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed, but it can be transferred or transformed. And then I read the verse in Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, which says, Therefore, since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be filled with gratitude and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The first law of thermodynamics can't explain or prove exactly how energy was created, but it does prove the very existence of eternity. So I want to talk about eternity through the existence of God and the name in which he gave to us in Revelation about being the Alpha and Omega. And how in his name holds the very keys of life and death, salvation and deliverance, the very gospel message of Christ since before the world began. Now, if you would, please turn with me in your scripture. If you've got a Bible or a Bible app in your phone or computer, we're going to turn to Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It's Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Now, the Word of God reads, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and his father to him be glory and power forever and ever amen look He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, my message is titled, The Alpha and Omega. The Alpha and Omega. The words Alpha and Omega are from the Greek that translate to mean the beginning and the end. Everything that has a beginning also has an end, and where there is an end, there is also a beginning. Through the words of Christ recorded right here in the book of Revelation, Jesus gives himself the name of Alpha and Omega, which is a beautiful painting and description of eternity through the gospel message of Jesus. The author of Revelation is John, and here in chapter 1, John is caught up through the power of the Holy Spirit into the heavenly spiritual realm, into the very throne room of God, and is given a vision revealing what has, is, and will take place. The past, the present, and the future are all laid out at once before John to see. Now, this is why Jesus says concerning himself about the beginning and the end that he is meaning in the present, that he was meaning the past tense as the very beginning and who is to come, meaning future tense of his kingship, which was established since the very beginning and will last for all eternity. The word revelation means to unveil. Much like how in a traditional wedding sense, a veil is lifted from the head of a bride given in marriage to her husband, 
The church is the bride of Christ, and when God has brought a completion of his entire word and comes back and is united with his bride, where he comes to set up his eternal kingdom forever, the glory of Christ and the glory of his church will be completely unveiled before the entire world and all of its inhabitants that have ever lived. Revelation is also the process in which the Holy Spirit uses to reveal a truth to us. As Jesus said, the truth comes from the Father in heaven, carried by the Holy Spirit, and will speak and show you what to say and teach you in all truth and matters of the truth. Now, no one has the ability to know or discern the truth about God and His Word unless God Himself, through His Holy Spirit, specifically reveals it to that person. That is why it is impossible to understand the Bible's true meaning and message without Christ and His Holy Spirit. A great example of this is recorded in Acts chapter 8, when Philip sees the eunuch on the road and notices that the eunuch is reading the words of Isaiah, but doesn't understand it. So God sends Philip through the Spirit and reveals the meaning behind Isaiah's words to the eunuch, leading to the eunuch being saved and baptized. Now the Lord will use His Holy Spirit and other believers to reveal a message and truth to people. And one day, that great revelation will come to the entire world. And every person and angel who ever was created, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. When thinking of the book of Revelation, most people think about prophecy in the end times. However, the book of Revelation isn't just a revelation concerning the end times, but it is a revelation through the spiritual realm, through the perspective of God in his throne, chronicling all events, starting from the very beginning and concluding with the very end, in which all things in the word of God are brought to a completion and fulfillment. Where there are 65 of the 66 books of the Bible, beginning with Genesis and concluding in Jude, deal with the physical sense of God's word through man. The 66th book, of which is Revelation, is an entirely different book in its own, an entirely different perspective, dealing with the beginning and the end through a spiritual sense. In other words, it's the same exact gospel message and revelation as theme throughout the entire other books of the whole Bible, just through a spiritual lens and a symbolic representation. That is why so many of the things that happen in the book of Revelation are represented through symbols and patterns, signs and wonders. In order to understand them, you have to be in a spiritual mindset with the wisdom and understanding of these spiritual things and how God represents them. During this revelation of the events which take place, here in the book of Revelation, we see the Word of God dealing with not just Israel, and not just mankind, but also the entire world and all of the heavens and earth, including angels and animals. All of God's creation are here in the book of Revelation. And it's through these symbols that we gain the understanding of what God is presenting to us concerning his message about the beginning and the end. And if you turn and read about the inauguration and the calling of the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel is caught up into the heavenly realms in the spirit 
where Ezekiel sees a vision of cherubim and seraphim, also known as the Lord's archangels. And they all have four faces, having the face of a lion, an eagle, an ox, and a human. And in the fire was what looked like four creatures in appearance. Their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead, and they did not turn as they moved. And their faces looked like this, each of four had the four faces of a human being, and on the right side each had a face of a lion, on the left the face of an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. That's in Ezekiel chapter 1. Now I don't believe that the archangels literally have four literal faces, but rather each face is in symbolic in nature, which represents the various missions and purposes of God's word, who is Jesus really gets interesting here is which I believe is one of the most crucial aspects in revealing the gospel message here is that we know the angels were created first before the creation of man and animals. Man and animals weren't created until the sixth day. So if man and animals weren't created until day six, then why on earth did God give these angels four different faces of his creation which had not been created yet. Now, you know how God told Jeremiah that he knew him before he was ever in his mother's womb. Now, you know how in the book of Job, God says that he knows every single star in the universe and in the heavens by name. When God created the earth, he was thinking of us. When God created the angels, he was thinking of us. Even when God created Lucifer, he was thinking of us. And when God created the birds and the fish of the sea, he was thinking about us. Everything in which God created, he created by his love, because of his love, and for his love. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everything that God does is because of his great love for you and me and the entire world. Each one of these animals and these faces represented an aspect of God's plan, an aspect of his purpose, an aspect of his nature and character, which is found throughout his entire gospel message through his son, Jesus. The ox is a picture of the yoke in which Christ has broken and yet carried the sins of mankind. An eagle is a picture of his Holy Spirit and the word, which is swift. It goes back and forth and is accomplished. The lion is a symbol of Jesus' kingship and authority. He is the lion of Judah. A man is the picture of the very image of God in which Christ died for and redeemed. And there were four of them, four angels having four wings, which represents the four corners of the entire world, the north, south, east, and west, in which his entire word goes out throughout the entire world. That's why when Jesus ascended up into heaven... He gave us the great commission and said, go out throughout the entire world, making disciples of all nations. Now, as David, 
The great psalmist said, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in shallow, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The apostle Paul even wrote, No one can hide from God. There is no mountain too tall. There is no valley too low, and there is no place that the love of God cannot reach. A perfect representation of how Christ and His Word are represented and carried out throughout all of history, throughout the entire world, from the beginning all the way through until its end. Now, where the books in the Old Testament are specifically written to the audience of the Jewish people, consisting of their native Hebrew language, of the Jewish people, we see a dramatic shift and change in the New Testament and in the book of Revelation to a much larger audience consisting of the entire world through the common world language at that time, which was in the Greek and Latin language. Now we know that everything in which the Lord does and says is through a specific purpose and reason. So rather than speaking, here in the book of Revelation, through the Hebrew language of his chosen people, the Lord instead precisely chooses the Greek words to describe himself. And this is very significant. We can't pass up the significance of this verse right here. When the Lord describes himself in the Greek words as the Alpha and Omega, meaning the beginning and end. And by doing this, the Lord is signifying himself not just to Israel, but rather the entire world by using the common language of the Gentile nations at that time, which was during the times of the Roman Empire in which they spoke Greek and Latin. And interesting, it was the Romans with the Jews who persecuted and put Christ to the death. But yet here God is still sending out his very gospel message to the ones who put him to death. Now, the Lord is distinguishing himself to the world that he is not just the God of Israel, but he is both the God of Israel and the God of the entire world. This is an establishment of his authority and kingship who builds up nations and tears down nations. He is the one and only true God, and it is by him that every nation, tribe, and people group is established or removed. Now, it doesn't matter if you're from the poorest or the most humble beginnings. It doesn't matter what kind of past you have. It doesn't matter how attractive or unattractive you are physically. It doesn't matter what nation you come from. And it doesn't matter how educated you are because God said, I am the Alpha and Omega. He is the God of everybody. He has no bias or favorites. His love has no boundaries. Because he chose the common language of the entire world at that time saying that he is the God of from the very beginning and he is the God all the way through to the very end. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And for the longest time, the glory of the Lord had only been displayed through his covenant with the Jewish people beginning with Abraham. That's why whenever you read through the Old Testament, the leaders of all these other nations and people groups would always identify God as God of Israel versus God of all. But when Jesus came and when he went to the cross, that promise was no longer reserved just for Israel, but it was also an invitation extending out to the rest of the world to join that promise. 
God's authority in which God describes through the words of Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, is also pronounced similarly, both in the beginnings of Genesis and the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, he is described as the Word of God, in which is demonstrated through life, light, and creation, which reads, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Notice here the ending of that verse in verse 4, that He is the light of all mankind. Not just the, the light of the Jews, but the light of the entire world, Gentiles too. And in the book of Genesis, God is described as God creator, and which is demonstrated through his works of his word and the account of all creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Christ is the word of God. Being with God, all things began with him, by him, and for him. The very definition of Alpha and Omega. The beginning and end. And it's where everything and everyone finds their purpose of existence, the value of their presence, and the nature of their relationship to one another and to God. Now, we exist for the purpose of God, to glorify God's name, to have fellowship with God. We have infinite value because we bear the very image of God, both physically and spiritually, being created in His likeness and image. This is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Hebrews 12 too, to fix our eyes on Jesus, whom is the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to Jesus who designed and made us and gave us a purpose. You cannot find another purpose or definition of who you are outside of Christ. He is the very beginning in which all of us came from. And he is the firstborn of many as Revelation 1 tells us. Now, just as the scripture says that he is the Alpha, the beginning, God is also the Omega and the end. This is a direct reference to the contrast of life and death. Because of the fallen and sinful nature of man, God cursed the human flesh to death, to a death sentence due to our sin. But because God said that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, we can trust that he has a plan. That he knows what he is doing because what God has started, God will finish. He leaves no deed undone. He isn't a promise breaker. He isn't an Indian giver. He is faithful and true. When God created you and I in his image, knowing that we would sin, God redeemed us because of his image through his son, Jesus. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages for sin is death. Or in other translations, the reward for disobedience against God is punishable by death. Everything and everybody will face death. There's no way around it. For all have fallen short for the glory of God and the wages for sin is death. This is why the word of God is also called the sword of God. Because the word of God is alive, is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
The sword is an instrument of war, and its purpose is to put to death. It's an instrument of attack, but it is also an instrument of life and defense because there is no other sword sharper than the sword of God. The sword of God is the sharpest sword that any human being can ever possess. And where the word of God brings death to the flesh, it also brings life to the spirit. And there is nothing pleasant about the sword of God. The word brings conviction of wrongdoing to us. It brings a guilty verdict to us where we have offended and trespassed against God. But God's purpose isn't to sentence us to eternal death, but rather those who believe in him do not perish but have everlasting life. Our response to the sword, to the word of God, is either to die to our sins and live, or to live in our sins and die for eternity. The word is supposed to be offensive. It's supposed to provoke us. It's supposed to move us. As Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Where God is the center source of all life, he is also the center source of all hope. The giver of life is also the judge of sin. But where there is a beginning, there is an end. And where there is an end, there is a beginning. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Every single person is created in the image of God. We are all originated and began through the Spirit and the Word of God. It is our flesh and sinful nature which is cursed, has led us into the spiritual and physical death, separating us from the very source we depend upon, which is God. But he said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Where there's a beginning, there is an end. And where there is an end, there is a beginning. Every single one of us, every person will die. But because God is also the sword of God, he is a just and true God. However, Jesus tells us that anyone who believes in him, anyone who abides in him through love and obedience will not perish, but have everlasting life. The purpose The person who puts their purpose, their faith in Jesus does not remain dead, but instead is reborn through the Spirit and is brought back to life. The power of the resurrection through the Holy Spirit is promised both to the in the spiritual and physical sense. In John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Jesus is talking about this concerning the death of sin and being reborn to life and in the Spirit. He meets a man named Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he says to him, we know that you're a teacher from God for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So Jesus tells him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus replies, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, Unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Which is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. With God, all things are possible. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God is faithful to his word. He is faithful to his promises. What God began, he promised to complete. And when Jesus went to the cross and died, he gave every single one of us a brand new beginning where our life should have ended. When Jesus gave up his spirit on that cross, he said, it is finished because he is the omega. He is the end. 
He will fulfill every letter and word. Not a single detail will go missing. We have an eternal hope and a future because He is, He was, and is to come. Because He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He will give life to those who died to their sins. And He will bring death to those who lived through their sins. Everything will come to its complete finality just as Jesus said. In Him is both beginning and end. There is a misperception that God made a mistake. And if God made a mistake, then how can he really be God? Why would God make this particular angel? For knowing that this angel would become Satan and deceive the entire world. Why would God make mankind? Knowing that mankind would sin, that mankind would commit murder, that they would lie and cheat. God doesn't make mistakes. Jesus said it right there in John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world. God is the great I am. He is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. And the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and through Him all things were made. So when Moses asked him, Who shall I say sent me? And when Samson's father asked the Lord what his name was, there was a name above all names. There is a name above all names. And there is to come a name above all names. The Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, you see, the name of God was reserved. It was set aside for a very special purpose, not for God himself, but for us. So the name of God was given to the Son of God. He gave the honor and the glory to his very one and only begotten Son, and his name is Jesus. The name of Jesus means Savior. If Jesus existed before the very beginning, before the creation of the entire world, if he is the Alpha, then why would the world need a Savior if the world hadn't fallen yet? Why would a Savior need to ever exist if sin had not yet been committed? Why would the great name of Jesus, the great name of Savior, ever need to be there, which was there before the creation of the angels. His name was there before Satan was created. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, I tell you, before Abraham was the great I am. As for God, his ways is blameless. He is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? He who is a rock. Who else is a rock except our God? His ways are perfect and his plans are perfect. Does the word not say in Isaiah 64, 8, Yet you, Lord, are our Father, and we are the clay. You are the potter, and we are all the work of your hand. We are all the work of his hand, every single one of us. The sinner, the saint, the prophet, the angel or the devil, the heavens and the earth, even hell was created by his hand to serve as an eternal punishment for sin. Therefore, Psalm 144.2, which says that he is my loving God and fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. God's name has always existed. God was, God is, and God is to come. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega. You see, God's plan was, is, and will always be about Jesus, about His love for you and I. That love has always existed. As the Word tells us, we love because He first loved us. God is love. He loves you. He loves me and He loves the world. He came to save it and not to condemn it. Nothing and no one is beyond His great name. Every name began in Him who is the beginning, and every name finds its purpose in Him who is the Savior of the world. How will you choose to respond to Him? Is God the end to you, or is He the beginning? Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can enter the Father except through Him. Each and every one of us must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're listening to this message, and you have never put your trust in Jesus, have never truly put your faith in Him, believing in Him, or if you're a Christian but you haven't been obedient to His Word and haven't put Him first in your life and you want to dedicate your life to Him right now, you can do that with me right here and right now. Regardless of who you are or where you come from, Jesus is not just the Savior of Israel. As He said, He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Savior, the God of the entire world world, the beginning and the end. All you have to do is pray this prayer with me, and He will enter into your heart and soul, and He will give you a new life and rebirth you through His Holy Spirit as a new creation in Him. Just pray after me, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for giving me the revelation of your Son Jesus through your Holy Spirit. I confess that I am a sinner, and I ask that you please forgive me through your Son Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. I ask that you come into my life, give me your Holy Spirit, and bring life into my soul and lead me. In Jesus' name that I trust and I pray, amen. Now you can hear and find more teachings just like this one on our website at tribeofchristians.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and on YouTube. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast to get future updates and to help us spread the gospel message. This concludes this episode. I am the chief sinner with the tribe of Christians, and may God continue to bless you and be with you always.